Yes, Shredheads, Waxheads, Kooks and Barneys, welcome to the last installment of our series with the Bra Goat, the Southside Battler King, Kobe Abaddon. What a journey it's been. Uh, this is Kobe's first ever podcast and we're honoured he's chosen us to share his story. The feedback has been overwhelming and nearly all positive so far. I think most people understand that this guy has been through some serious shit and he's on a path of transformation and redemption. If you feel inclined, reach out to him directly on Instagram and let him know how his story and his advice for living, surviving and thriving has affected you. For the last in this series, we're going to talk pure surfing because let's face it, that's what this guy is, a fucking core lord of the highest order. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed the interview process and all the stuff that took place around it that you might not have heard, including some skits breathwork sessions and just some really genuine interactions and advice he gave me on my personal journey. Uh, it helped, and I'd like to take the time to thank him right here for his generosity and kindness. This won't be the last we'll hear from Kobe on this podcast. We'll be catching up with him and getting him on the mic every chance we get. But until then, enjoy our final episode with the great and powerful Kobe Abaddon. Talk to us about Cape Salander, aka ours, like uh, the discovery of it from your perspective. Um, from my perspective, me and Mark Matthews were watching it and Mark said, look at this wave. And I'd noticed the colour of the rocks too. And then Mark's like, I know where it is. I'm pretty sure I know where it is. And I had a sort of strange feeling it was, I knew where it was too because you can see by rock colour and you can see by, once you surf enough, you can just see things by water colour and sand colour and... And, you know, I can tell all over the world by that. So I could tell it was where we live. Yeah, so then we um, we went there one day. The boys went without me, Richie and Vass. I mean, Richie and Vass. Mark and Vass. And surfed it without me. Mm. I was that off it. Mm. But I didn't answer the phone or I didn't do any. But, yeah, I think uh, Mark, Vass and Evo went and surfed it first. And... Um, and yeah, and then so we just, over the years, it just, you know, every year we surfed it would, the, we never had really big, big swells in the first two years. But then I remember I got, about the third year, I remember I got that one swell where me, Vass, Evo, uh, and a couple of others took the ski out and I got all those covers. Remember mm. all those covers on that yellow board on that real long one? Bill Morris shot him? Bill Morris shot him. So we went out there and I told the boys to wash the jet ski and they didn't wash the jet ski, like clean the jet ski the last time we used it. I bought it, you wash it. Mm -hmm. That was the rules, but yep. I guess they didn't get the memo. And uh, <laughs> I think maybe that was just my memo <laughs> to them. <laughs> they didn't hear it. Didn't want to do it. But um, so, so we got out there and the, the skis broke down on that day. Someone else's tone, I made them tell me. I can't remember who it was and I'm sorry that I can't or maybe our jet ski just worked for a little while but we got these waves and I only got four waves and we'll, at that stage we are like filming for the Bra Boys movie and these four waves were just like big six to eight foot nor'east east nor'east just drainers along the whole reef and they went really long they went thick big and long to this day still probably the better barrels I've ever had Wow. And then I remember that they were eight feet and I remember the way they hit the reef and I know surfing and I went, that reef won't break. That's going to get huge and not break if you get the right swell on that reef. It just, it was an eight footer and it just didn't look like, you know, it, it always breaks on a south swell, but anything with east in it, I don't know how big it can handle. And then we go into the Red Bull contest, you mm, know. Mm. That was an east-northeast swell. That thing, like I was there that day and uh, you know, rocking up in the morning, that was like a, a catastrophic fucking storm. Like it caused absolute chaos all up and down the east coast. And rocking up at the event that morning, I was like, "Oh, there's no way it's surfable." Like I just, mm. it just, fuck, was eating itself. And yet, mate, full credit to fucking Rooster. Like he paddled one at the start of the day and got a ten. He just paddled it, eh? No, he didn't. Paddle he didn't? Oh, it was a whip. No, there was no paddling out there, man. Yeah, right. That was like fifteen feet. That, was, that, the the day day. Yeah, that right. was the second day. Yeah, that was the second day. They called oh, it. Sorry, I don't know yeah, if you yeah. remember, but the, on the, the huge on the huge day it was me, Jai, Kirk Flintoff, 
and someone else in the heat on the last day when the tide was going low. And it was Jug? Like, and Jug cracked his head? Was that? No, so in when they called the contest off, Jug went out there and got those crazy ones at the start, remember, at the start of the day. Rooster got that big, huge mental one. Evo got a sick one. All the boys had a good one. But then the fourth heat into the day, they called it off. My heat. Right. They caught it off on my head. It went low tide and it just right. went below sea level and just started getting really big and really scary. And uh, remember, Richie Vass was going over those huge oh. ledges, bro. It has the best he went like wipeout five in a row. <laughs> it's the best wipeout shot of all time. Yeah. It's the best. Yeah. I don't think it'll ever be fucking topped for sheer like ludicrousness. You know what? It's one of the funniest. It's not uh, ironic that Richie Vass got the best wipeout shot like that. You know what I mean? He's the he at that age he was the biggest animal that you could put in the surf. I grew up and I trained. You know, we trained all the kids up to surf and that. Richie was really an animal. I would have liked to see what he he could probably do it still now, but like whatever you put him in, that kid was just going Mate. from the start. Richie Vass. From the A, we had Neil Cameron shaped a, a, a board called a flex, what was it called? A flex tail? It was a flex tail and we surfed the island on that huge norrie swell and I made Richie come out, Richie Vass come out, remember when island got the like July 15 swell, like. feet, the big less, and I got that cover at, on Surfing Life. Do you remember that big bottom turn? Is it? Yeah, it was at the bombie, right? At the bombie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Richie Bass, yeah, I remember Richie well. Bass had no, no boards and he didn't get to see me. So he didn't get to grab any of my boards, so he took out a, like a flex tail, Neil Cameron, bat tail. Flex tail? A bat tail as well. It's a flexy board. And Richie was just hucking himself over 12 footers on this flex tail. <laughs> Boing. Yeah. Like, making a noise was, like that. It was just amazing. But um, since day one, you know, so it's cool that he actually got that crazy, scary Mate, photo. Vass is one of, I think he's pretty underrated. He's in a pantheon of sporting greats up there with like your Anthony Mundanes, like you know guys who were proficient at the top of their game in two sports. Like mm. it, it's so hard to do. It's, you know, and I can say this from a very small amount of experience trying to be a professional footballer and, and pack slabs, pack cones. It's pretty hard to, to to juggle the two things, but he managed to do it better than, mate. Better than anyone. He, he's had, what, 10 fights in the UFC? Something like that? Yeah, mate. That's um, unbelievable. He's an absolute beast. He's a, he's a beast. You a have beast. To, 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 Since day one, ultimate, too. The ultimate fighting championship, the the pinnacle of like combat sports, he's fought in the octagon at that level 10 times, I think with five wins, something like that. And uh, and, and I could be wrong. He might, maybe he's got more. But uh, And to be as proficient as he is in waves of immortal consequence, like full respect to the guy, man. It, it takes incredible discipline, training, work ethic, and fucking talent. Since day one, mate. To Rip it in. Yeah, Vass, love you. What a legend. Um, mate, I guess, like, I'm interested to know, too, you know, Slab's played a, a big part in your career. Like, you, you made it. The, the best earning power you had in your career was when you were fucking just packing it and sending it. Mm. Like, when did Slabs first enter your life? Like, I imagine it's... I think I come 46 on the tour. The year before. And I needed to make sons... I, I needed to make... Um, I needed to make better than an 800 points, which was better than the round before quarters for six contests in a row. And I lost every single first heat that I went in. Wow. You know? And all I needed to do was make that one heat to make the tour because I'd done really good early. I'd got, um, I got second in the Gunston 500. I had uh, like a, uh, a third in France and I'd done really well that year in a couple of quarters around. I was going to make it and then I didn't make it and it just broke my heart. I just mm. couldn't do it anymore. And then after that, I was just kind of like, I've been on here about five years. So you and were two spots off getting in on either the top 44, yeah, top 45, one spot off. Yeah, it'd be interesting what Fuck. I fell back to. I heard I fell back to about 50th, but going into the year, I was I was sitting about 30th and I just had to make a heat. Yeah, people, I, people do forget that about you, man. Before uh, all the big wave heroics, you were, you know, a, a whippity beach break wizard. Yeah, I was really good at small waves. Yeah, from the inner city. And, uh, you know, you grinded on the yeah. queue with fucking... Who was your travelling crew at that point? Um, Lee Winkler. Uh, Munro, Trent Munro, McDonald's, Steve Clements, Sammy Carrier, 
uh, Manny Owens. Who else? Uh, we had a, I was with Christian McCall, Davo, like heaps of people. Dave yeah. Davo or Chris Davo? Chris Davo. Mate, what was, uh, what was going on on tour with the boys? Shenanigans ahoy? Yeah, mate. For my first couple of years, when I was on tour, I wasn't a party guy. I never went party. The boys, a couple of them party, but when I was on tour, I, I didn't really party at all. Really? Yeah, I didn't party at all. Wow. So um, I left my party in until I didn't make it as a pro surfer. Huh. Uh, I had a dream of make, being a pro surfer, and, and uh, once that didn't work out, then I went mad. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, uh, that's, yeah. that's unique, man. Yeah, because... But um, the boys went hard and they always had some good nights, but yeah, I wasn't a part of it. So you don't get on tour, you miss out by a spot, you, you, you're just broken. I mean, fuck, the QE must have taken so much out of you at that point. You know, that, that's a, like, it's so much time of the year on tour, a lot of money spent chasing it. Mm. Uh, I imagine it leaves you pretty fucking broken, demoralised, coming that close. Um, 100%, but uh, at that stage, you know, we started... Uh, towing surfing was coming in you know you're seeing what people were doing all over the world and I knew I was equipped to that it wasn't ironic that I won Tahiti at such a young age you know mm. I was really good at slabs I was always going big ways I was surfing Vuya as big as it got 10 12 feet as a kid I was surfing the island I'd surf anywhere and you know 99 times out of 100 I was the best in the water so I knew I was pretty good at it and I'd go away to Hawaii and I'd be really good out there and be you know be battling them and and really surfing hard so i knew in a way you're on the cutting edge of where it's yeah and when i was young um derek hine tried to he wanted me to be the next brock little so mm. he flew me down to rip curl and said oh we want you to be brock little because I, I went for a couple of surfs at wyme one one year you know so there was always this angle of these waves and bigger waves and always in the back of my head mm. but talk to us about you know what the what growing up on waves like did for you like you know these are uh, very technical waves and like did that set you in really good stead when you got I think like got to Hawaii and and places like this did it all seem a bit almost easy for you like talk to us about how technical the east coast slabs are well when I was growing up my brother Jai was really good at it he was like he was really good at going getting big barrels you know he was always really good at at riding like slabs and tubes and like Vui he was always the best at Vui and then you know would go a lot of places he was really good in the barrel mm. and then he would come over here and he would always be good so that got me interested in the barrel you know and then my brother was always on tour sunny and so I was tend to be with Drymore chasing going down a black rock and going to all these sort of slabbier waves around the world and then we'll go down to Red Sands as one of our favourites and you know we'll go down there on an or and Norris Wells, um, you know, would always go down there. Uh, did you ever hear that story about me and J me and Jai? Uh, when uh, one, Jai pulls a handbrake, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Vast told us that one. That's wild. Bleep. Very technical, very consequential wave. I mean, it kind of shades of backdoor at times, but like not as not as perfect as backdoor. I mean, oh yeah, I've had it like good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to say too much on here. There's 60,000 people listening, but... Yeah, it's true. Yeah, but, um, we'll, we'll bleep that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a mental joint. I mean, it's just like A-frame fucking barrel. Well, it's not... It's That whole reef is full of uh, sea urchins. So many urchins. So many urchins. The size and, of basketballs. And every time you fall properly, like on a proper part of the wave, not on the shoulder, you're hitting the reef. Yeah, yeah. Every single time you fall at Red Sands, you hit the reef. That's what I mean. It, it's so consequential, and it's just like... As good as it gets, it's uh, a little bit unpredictable. Uh, you kind of got to, I feel like, pretty hard to get through a whole session there without getting really flogged. Yeah, I've, I, you can go for years of getting hurt every time. I even saw Mason Ho and uh, Mick Fanning did a trip down there, and you know, Mason's the fucking genetically engineered tube ferret, like the cunt's been bred in a petri dish to that pits. How good is he? And even he got cut up there, man. I was like, whoa, oh, yeah, no yeah, way. And, it, and if you charge in, if you charge in there, bro, you're getting hurt. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just so like that's what it got to. It got to a certain point where everyone knew they were gonna get hurt. So we just went to all these waves and surfed and, and really enjoyed it. And then you get to Hawaii and so like, you know, you're surfing slabs, but there's I guess more space, more time. Mm. Um, you know, technical, but 
and consequential, but compared to the waves at home, like this, I guess this is a bit, bit more breathing room. Like, how did you make the transition? Why? Tell us about your first season in Hawaii. Hmm. I can't really. Oh. Or even just your first memories of going there, like. Um. um my first memories. I went with my mate, uh, who used to be, who are you staying? Oh, Luke Dennett, who was um, one of my mates. We went over there maybe when I was 17. And yeah, that's when I, um, I only had a, my biggest board was a 7.6. And I just went over there and I surfed. I just, I just remembered whose name it was. Who was it? I can't remember who it was actually the first trip. Um, who was that? Fuck, I've got to text someone on this is bad. Nah, <laughs> I feel bad. Well, anyway, me, I just feel, I don't want to like not yeah. drop. Oh, yeah, so right. my first trip to Hawaii, um, you know, I, I was I was there and I, I was I only had a 7.6 as my biggest board because that's what I took to Indo, which was too big. But I had a 7.6 and I, uh, and I charged everywhere I went, you know. I, I went there and I surfed a lot of big pipe. I surfed um, heaps of... Huge YME on my small boat on that 7.6. Yeah, that'd be very hard to and do. And I was catching him, and that's when I'd come home and Rip Curl, like, tried to flew me down to Torquay and wanted me to surf that that big right. What's that big right called? Yeah. I had a really good season the first year in I'm, inter- I'm interested to know, like, you know, how did you how did you fare over there? It's, um, you know, like, a lot of guys from Australia go there. Uh, you know, they've grown up in surf towns where there's not a lot of Polynesians. They've fucking never really spent time around them but you know where we're from there's a lot of a lot of Tongans a lot of Samoans a lot of Maori um but you know so I guess you're more familiar with Hawaiian like Polynesians culture at least or at least being around that heavy energy like how did you go over there maneuvering through the fucking matrix of like not pissing cunts off who you know like did you did you get into strife over there I wasn't like your normal surfer you know I didn't I just went there and surfed and I know what respect is I got locals at my house that will punch you in the face you Mm -hmm. know like back then in the day so I just went there and and done me thing. I knew how to surf. And most places you go and you can surf and you pay respect, they pay your respects. So I just always had a good time there. But then later on, like, you know, three, four years into it, then I was hanging out with Bruce and Andy. And then now the, the Hawaiian guys are like family, you know. They, they always stay at my house in Australia and Bali. So I've, I've ended up forming a really good connection with them. And it, and it is because the way I grew up. I think because I grew up with all these Polynesians and stuff within my life. I got on really well with a lot of them, you know. I knew, I, I I know that sort of culture. Yeah, it definitely helps to be familiar with that culture. Like, I mean, covering the tour, like, um, yeah, some of the, the earliest connections I had was with guys like like Dustin Barker and, uh, you know, and fuck, man, I guess it's it, there's a way to act. It's not sucking up, and it's not. It's not like being disrespectful. There's a middle ground there. You, it's you respectful. Learn. It's yeah. just being to respectful. Suck up yeah, is, is disrespectful. Yeah, it's yeah. like you don't have to. No, I mean, s- I, I just see that mistake Australian surfers make that a, a bit. Um, just trying to be too friendly, almost, and I don't know. It's just, it's, it's awkward. <laughs> and that's the whole thing. You're like, you like you get your bullies in life. You know, it's like you find normal people who, who get bullied get bullied through life. You know, so it's like. You you got to make a stand. You got to stand up for yourself, and you got to be respectful, and you got to enjoy the place. You know, mm. it's like it really is what it says it is. And back when I was going there, it was like the peak of all that shit, and it was like the crazy place. You know, yeah. Who was who were the apex predators at Pipe? In those well, the years? Wolf Pack back then was run by like the Kauai boys. That was this the years of well, actually before that, uh, it was who was the first year? It was like Johnny Boys and. Dane Kialoha at the end of his of his of his of his reign and and then you had like Perry Danes and um, Eddie and Junior. Tomorrow Perry. Yeah, and like a lot of a lot of guys also riding bigger boards and stuff, you know. So they were getting a lot of ways, but and then it was all like Wolfpack, you know, with Kalar and Kai coming into the next couple of years of it all. When I got to hang out with Andy and Bruce. So me and them become friends when I was about 18. And uh, then I started staying at the, you know, sometimes I don't even stay at the Volcom house. Wow. I've stayed there many yeah. times, months on end. And, um, you know, 
Kai and Bruce would allow that, and uh, I'd stay there with all the boys. And then we had the Volk, I mean the the analog house, which was just amazing. And then we, I used to go into Hawaii and spend as six months there as long as I could. There, I was one of the kids. Uh, instead of <clears throat> instead of uh, just going to locations when I was younger, I'd go and spend a bit of time in the place. You know, three months here, then three months in Indo. Then three months in Tahiti, and I'd chase it around like that. Three months in Jabo. So I was kind of that sort of. And so, as your career takes off, like, you know, I guess the discovery of ours, um, that was a big part of it. Like, how did that, you know, that, that, I feel like when I look back at your, your surfing career, like, that was such a significant period. Like, fuck, man, you guys were just racking up so many spreads and covers. Mm. And uh, it was, I, I'll, I'll never forget, the first I ever saw the, the wave was in a, a tracks film, I think it was Formula 3 or some shit. Yeah. And fucking uh, Wayno or, or Vass, someone just gets, like, catapulted at the start. The very first wave, they're just doing it. They're balled up, doing backward somersaults. We had Evo do a really good backflip. Maybe it was him, yeah. You had Wayno do an even probably better backflip, <laughs> and then you had Vass always doing oh, backflips. <laughs> Iconic wipeout. Like, it was it was such a shock to see at that point. I must have been 17, and there was just nothing like that had happened yet in surfing. It was so if, radical. If I put that wipeout up on any of those three wipeouts up on Instagram, because I've done it numerous of times... It gets like a hundred thousand, like it goes viral straight away. It's that much of a backflip. Mate, <laughs> they're they're it, perfect backflips. It's unbelievable. Like backwash hits him, a fucking six foot lip right in the third eye, and he's just That's doing Wayne it. Like, that yeah. was Wayno's one. Yeah, Holding that was amazing. His hand, one, yeah. And you know the rocks are in the foreground, and you're just like, what the fuck is this? And then not only that, you got like you know essentially a crew of hoodlums in hooded fucking jumpers, like all standing on the rocks, like. From this like you know seething inner city community packing filthy orbs and there's fucking <laughs> shipping tankers going in the whole setup was so tripped out it was amazing i tell you what i tell you what, an amazing period of surfing hey so when you look at what i managed to do with not letting any lids out there no one out there like i was letting any surfer any surfer who wanted to come and surf that wave of me as long as they were a surfer and they wanted to pack bombs they were like welcome to, to pack any bomb, like I would tow them, you know what I mean? Like we had a thing, whoever paddled out, they get towed, you know what I mean? It was like you gotta paddle one and then you get to get towed one. But what we got away with in that joint before like our laws be got to like too gnarly, we surfed that way for 10 years by ourselves. No one around, you know, like it was just, it's the time of your life every time the waves were six foot and all it had to be was surfers. You know, all these people, they, they let it go to, to shit because now the boogie boarders rule that. Shark Island, Suck Rock and everywhere around there. Yeah, it's, and it's, mate, there's actually a precedent it's, for that. Like, uh, it It's wasn't disgusting now, bro. Like, there's, there's just hundreds of people in the water and, and photographers and then you've got all the boogie boarders and then it's just horrible. Yeah, and there's precedent for it. Like, The Verge was run the same way yeah. <laughs> as, as the Cape. No. And, uh, I mean, Eddie and the boys. Eddie and the boys yeah. run it with an iron fist. Exactly the same. God, I love them. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's not... Uh, yeah, Predator. Love you, mate. It's not... It's not. That's not as known about as in the folklore. But, and, and mate, you could... There's fucking heaps of waves all over the world that are, are run like that to a degree. But that said, you know, although you became famous for having beef with boogers... You also were pretty tight with guys like Bullet McKenzie, you, you'll tell yeah, me. Yeah, like Steve Bullet McKenzie, uh, whose sister was Lynette, um, the boogie boarder used to leave his stuff at my house uh, when we were kids, like at my grandma's house. And he was there before I was, you know? Like he was leaving his stuff there before I was kind of... Tight with Sonny or Jai? Tight with Sonny and yeah. Jai, and they loved him, and he was a great guy. And like we were, we were friends until forever i don't know how he feels about that i don't really care but you know he's a mate of mine mm. and it was never about that all it's ever been about to me is uh if we could have one wave to where these surfers and these young surfers could progress because you know hawaii has got pipe you know what i mean like tahiti's got chopu like all these people can become these great surfers because shark island has 300 boogers out there on any given day Mm. No surfer and definitely no young surfer can get a wave. So uh, I said, that's ours and we're going to, that's, that's, that's how it's going to be now. No one's surfing it. And it wasn't, uh, 
it was everything against the boogers. It was nothing against the surfers. And how did it? How did that wave change your fortunes? Like, how did it change your life and career? Um, I was already making pretty good money at that stage, but then I remember I had like um. So what was really crazy is when the ours got the best at that whole stage. I was going through my brother's murder charge. So when the murder charge was happening, no one would sponsor me for about five years. So that, that was right? when that wow. all that happened. So the first year it got good, I was sponsored by Oakley. And then as soon as Jai got charged, all my sponsors dropped me and then no one would pick me up. So all those years I was just doing it for the love of it and just getting barred off my ass. And uh, it was still some of the best surfing we've ever done, you know. It was a lot of days there went by where we were getting up there early and there was no photographers out there and we were getting some crazy waves. So it was good times. Wow. And... From there, like, I mean, where were the other, the other really significant? I mean, I remember like some crazy shots from shippies, like Tom and massive shippies. There's yeah. like a, a trip of Cyclops, was there? Yeah. So Andy Campbell, um, I think, me, Mark Matthews. So remember that Mark Matthews, Kieran Perro, crazy one they yeah, got. Yeah, Drew Corner. Yeah. yeah. So I was down there, and we went and checked um, Shipstones. Andy Campbell invited us down here there on that first trip that they scored. They were kind of the first people. Andy and Rasta? Andy Campbell. Maybe Rasta was there either just before us or just after us. Um, Rasta was a bit of a hunter too. So, like, he might... And Rasta's an awesome guy. I love that. It all happened in the, around about the same time. Yeah, it happened around about yeah. the same time. But anyway, my story is we went there first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Andy uh, told us to come down there and I went and chased Kira. I stayed there for a week and I'm like, this ain't gonna swell if it's like, it's not even, there's no waves. Like it was just really windy because you couldn't go out there and see it. So I left. Mm. And then I went and chased Kira with Dean Morrison and Kieran Perro, Mark Matthews, Drew Courtney and Andy Campbell got that crazy swell. And that, again, like that cover, the one of KP like looking like he's about to fucking lose his spine, like, that was up there with the discovery. It was yeah, it was. It was right on par with the discovery of Cape, and it kind of happened, you know, only a couple of years apart. But like that was a really crazy period in Australian yeah. surfing. We went well, from just like surfing, like surfing before that was just all like point break, high performance surfing, and then suddenly we were just into these fucking mutant orbs. It was mental. Well, then we then we took it down, and um, we took it like from that point we realised they're everywhere. So then we went, you know, we chased Cyclops. Who, so Cyclops was the pinnacle. Yeah, but then we went down to Lunas down in South Oz and then we done all... I've been going to uh, Adelaide, we'll say. Mm. I've been going to Adelaide for a long time, you know, and all those waves down there. So then we started chasing the big slabs and then we're getting slabs down there, but we, would never sh we could never shoot them. So we had a lot of big barrels down in Adelaide <laughs> and then like then we started coming up the coast and would we were surfing like Lunas and then we're going to where else were we going back then um and then we started chasing Cyclops we're going to like let's we want the Cyclops and then we had the right the big right you know what I mean so we're chasing a lot of big waves talk us through that that first journey to Cyclops like and the wave itself like how does that joint function uh what kind of a setup is it and, and, and what are your memories of that trip? Well, so I've never been one to say that like the boogie boys didn't find the slabs. Mm. We just took them off them, mm. you know, and just found out where they were and went down there and surfed them. And if you're out there, it's my day, you know. So we'll never, I was never one to say that we went out there and found and we just heard rumours. You know, we heard rumours about Cyclops. We heard rumours about the right. We heard rumours about Lunas. Like the boogie boarders were the guys uh, who mostly found these these remote waves and fishermen and stuff and a lot of fishermen surfers in, in WA and South Oz. But, um, but yeah, so then we just spent the whole bottom part of Australia down there hunting all those slabs and then down to Ulladulla and, you know, up along the whole coastline back and forth. And we started, I, I was buying two jet skis at once and we had cars and shit. We're just fucking... Cowboys, mate, full-on cowboys. It was just the best times of our life for for years. It was just we're doing runs from South Oz to WA, and then the back way South Oz to 
Sydney, you know. Just and pinging it across the bottom of the continent. Yeah, chasing just swells. chasing swells. Unbelievable. Yeah. And that was a period where slab surfing was still in its infancy in terms of the mainstream surfing population. There'd be fuck all people surfing that whole time. Yeah. You would be not surfing a lot of people, I imagine. No, nah, like every single surf, there was no one out there for mm-hmm. 10 years, you know. And, and a lot of these sessions, you know, you're paddling as well a lot of the time in mm. South Oz, I imagine. And so the best way to paddle uh, to toe surf when you're out there with a crew and just say there's five years, because it's normally me, Vass, Evo, Mark, um, and Evo and Mark and, jo- and my other brother, Joy, or then would go with, um, we'll meet up with the Browns, Courtney and Kirby Brown a couple mm. of times. Um, and then would go from place to place. But the best way to do it is you get a crew of people together and just say it's, you know, five to eight people or five to six people and you sit a crew on the lineup to where you're going to catch the wave from. So they're sitting there paddling, even though they sometimes don't want to, but they're paddling. They don't have to be catching waves. They have to be sitting on the reef. So then the jet skiers coming in can mark where, where you come in. When you never surfed a wave before, you've got no clue where you're going to let it go of them, you know? Mm. So we'd sit people there and have bigger boards and everyone would be paddling, surfing, paddling, you know. Mark was on his way up. Richie was on his way up. You know, I was on my way up. So we are all going, you know, and surfing and... Pushing each other. Pushing and each other and then just doing round robins of the skis. And making money. You guys were getting paid good money to do this. Yeah, I was making about 150k uh, a year just to go and get barreled. So that was pretty great. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. How good's that? Just fucking... Man driving rings around the continent mm. getting chewed but with your so, mates but so what i used to do is i'd um i'd make up i had a photographer so i'd i'd get some i'd pay for some one of my mates to come and video and then i'd pay for like richie or i'd pay for evo and i'd just pay for everyone so right we just constantly wasted my money yeah <laughs> i was gonna say man like i mean how did you do it out of those years like financially did, did you did you bank money? Were you all I was right? lucky week to week, mate, that I had money in my account. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up with a junkie mum, mate. Like, you, you don't learn saving in my school. <laughs> <laughs> you just learn spending, brother. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Fuck. There's nothing really interesting about it. Everyone who's gone through what I have and going, I went through has no clue how to save money pay bills, none of it. Yeah, well, it's why I say it's interesting is because, yeah, you know, I grew up with a single mum renting and I saw the, the stress that money caused her and us and for that reason, I've still got the same money that I was saving since I was eight. I've yeah. never spent it. I had money in my Dolomite account and that money is now in my life savings. It's the How same much you got? I've, I've got a bit now, man. <laughs> and, and I hold on to it because it's it's just money to me is stored up stress. It's And I can rele- slow release the stress whenever I want to take the pressure off me because mm. I never want to feel the stress and the shame and the humiliation and not having enough money, man. It was demoralizing and, and, and stressful. I don't want to get back. I think like, like with my parents and my brothers and the way I was raised, it was more like just live for today, you know? Like you don't know what's going on everyone in my community yeah. was like getting locked up and you know what i mean and, and uh people were dying and a lot of my friends are dead and it was always the best option you know as i get older now i'm trying but god it's hard work mm, live for the day no i, I yeah. can I appreciate that too man you yeah. know i think it's a really uh are we saving too much you know what i mean and like how much do you need this money like how much do you need mm. you know what i mean like how many houses do you fucking need, like, bro? Like, yeah, oh man, you know fuck. what I mean? Like, I'm a long way off getting one. So. Give me a view on an ocean. Like, I don't care what country it's in. I, I, I land in the country I feel good at, wherever mm. my family is. You know, so that's the way I look at it. So, I've never really cared so much about money. I've cared more about a really good time. Yeah, nah, fair enough. Fair play to you. Um, so. What were, yeah, I mean, well, let's go back to Cyclops, man. Like, I, did, I didn't get, in the end, uh, around to getting from you what it was like, like, back in those days. That, that, that is the most turned-up slab. It's so turned up that people have kind of forgotten about it. It's that heavy. Yeah, so, the, I mean, the first time we went down there, we went down there to film the Bra Boys movie, and me and Mark had just been talking about it constantly, about what we want to go down there and, like, surf it. 
keep in mind we've seen a lot of videos and stuff and uh, I don't think the boogie board surfed at that stage. I didn't see many boogie boarders stuff, footage of it. I've just seen the empty wave. So we went, if I was to say we're the first, we're definitely close to it. Um, and especially pulling in on the snowball, you know. So we went down there. And I remember going out there and there was like albino dolphins and just seals on islands and that. Like, we're so out in the middle of nowhere, mate. Like, it was crazy where we were. So we went down there into these oceans and and there was just slabs everywhere down there. Where? So no way. We get down there and then we didn't surf the Cyclops that way. We surfed another one this day, you know, and then another one. And then we went to Cyclops. Oh, it should be three feet. We get out there, it's eight to ten with those covers that we got. Like, it's just we have no understand, uh, idea of, of how big the waves are out in those oceans, you know. So you're three hours out in the ocean just in the middle of nowhere chasing these things, you know. That's so surreal. No, no jet ski licences, no car licences, just like hammering through the jungle, you know. Fuck, man. The great times. I watched, I'm sure you've seen uh, Kirby's film Facing Monsters or Chasing Monsters. I haven't seen it yet, no. That thing is... Uh, it's hard to put into words what that film is. Like, it's so fucking... It's such a journey. It, it feels like you're watching people on another planet. Yeah. Like, they're out in this strange environment, which is the ocean. We Basically experiencing exactly what you experience. Like, you've experienced yeah. what's in this film, but this film really captures it. And surfing waves that are just exploding like an atomic bomb on, on, on a ledge. And, uh, you know, at the start of it, you're kind of like, oh, this is maybe like before I saw it I'm like oh this is novelty like this kind of surfing is a little bit novelty but watching Kirby do it it's like he's surfer man he's like compressing over lumps he's weaving through pits he, he uh, you have to be such a fucking high end surfer yeah. to be able to surf these kinds of ways I don't think people realise that necessarily yeah and get, but the thing about Kirby Brown and Courtney Brown they rip they're really really good exactly yeah, that's yeah. What I mean, and they've yeah. been like good since day one and, and like Kirby riding these barrels, you get to a stage where you start riding bigger barrels, just say it's eight feet, and you start figuring out how to move in the barrel, you know, you start figuring out how to pump. And it's no difference to, like, when you're deep in a 20-foot barrel, you got to do the same thing, you know what I mean? There's just more room. You're doing the same thing. You're doing the same movement, and the reactions are still the same. And But then when you're out there in, like, where Kirby's doing, you're in the middle of nowhere. It's in, like, you know, deep west northwest australia like it's so scary out there what kirby's doing i've had multiple multiple pro surfers come up to me and go i can't believe what kirby brown that movie that he's made it's just the most insane movie ever it really is it, it's the credit like i was saying it's maybe the best uh it's the best surf film i've ever seen it's it's unbelievable but you know what's nice like western australian guys are kind of like that you know, that raw, rugged, like, so it's good that someone who's from Western Australia, instead of me going there and, like, getting their cyclops and all these sorts of waves and getting slabs and stuff before this new generation done that, you know? Kirby, of all people, a really cool family within Western Australia, like, made this sick film that's going to be iconic, you know? Completely iconic, and it's hard to see it being topped yeah. any time the next 20 to 30 and it, years. And it's really cool. Yeah? It's like it's, it's, it's that family, you know? Yeah. It's that, lo that really sort of people. person. He's got a big beard and stuff. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. It's, that's, it's, that's, that's what surfing does. Surfing kind of gives back to our own community. Yeah, that's a good point, man. And I'm interested to know, like, in that game that you're talking about, the slab game, the heavy water game, like, if you're doing it for the wrong reasons... Do you get hurt? Like, do you, do you have to love it? If you're doing it for the money and the photos, is that like a recipe for disaster or, or can you get by doing that? Well, I don't think there was any time in my surf career that I went out there for the photos. I just bring the photographers along to make money from it. Mm. You know, I was, this is my dream. Like, I'm still living this dream now. You know, I'm in Indo chasing barrels, you know what I mean? But, like, for my whole career, I've just really... In, enjoyed that and i've enjoyed the camaraderie and i've joined the you know even the people on the ski with you like the jet ski driver tows you into a crazy wave he's just as happy as you you know it's this weird thing that happens out there and especially with surfing these big crazy slabs it's like it, it it's like a, a higher force of some sort of happiness you know everyone's just stoked mm. especially 
even if you don't get the one and your mate gets the one and you're just like, oh my, you know, you just can't believe it. Mm. And it's really, it's a good thing to be around. And so, oh, the brain, it's trying, mate. We just did a Mondo Wim Hof sesh, Marcel Hof sesh, actually. Yeah. Oh, man, Kobe and Ola. Uh, What'd so, you think of that? Mate, it's, uh, I do a lot of Wim Hof, but the Marcel Hof one is a trip out. It's fucking intense. It, it's like way more intense than the Wim Hof one. Yeah. Um, and from what you were showing me, like through the, the Marcel Hof website or app or whatever it is, like, this program he's running is unbelievable. Like fucking, mate, you showed me, as I could see on the thumbnail, there's like fucking 50 or 100 cunts all piled in, like some weird human fucking pizza, all breathing at the same time. And mm. even doing it with you and your wife, Ben, like it, it's so much more powerful when you do it with other people. It, it, oh. it makes it easier. It's like any kind of training. You know, training's hard when it's just you doing it one out, but yeah, that, that was massive. But I don't wanna get fucking too sidetracked. Uh, Fucking, uh, oh, man, I have to ask you, like, what were the real standout waves from this period? You know, the, the waves that, like, kind of either made your career or, or just were personal milestones. I think the one where the... the I think the one from ours was the, like, it's like we just talked about the Kirby Brown, like the place being yours. I think the one on the on the yellow board was just a really iconic photo. Because, like, that wasn't being done anywhere. You know, there was no one who was doing that. And uh, around the world, people have just said, you guys created this. And we really did. And that one was a really personal one for me. I was going through court. I was going, for, you know, I was a bit looking at jail time. Uh, I lost all my sponsors. And, you know, when you look at that wave, that's the most important wave to me, you know. It's just, there's so much going on in that wave and I was just in that barrel and I remember, you know, just, just still winning. And it was a really nice one. This, I love that surfing gave that back to me, you know, like surfing. And then I had covers all around the world and I was like, fuck you, I just surf, fuck mm. this. You know mm. what I mean? I don't, I don't mind about anything else. I'm happy with me. You look at the period, you know, as, as, as like, you know, in some people would say you're a polarizing figure, right? Mm. But when you really look at the particulars of what was going on at that time, you didn't do a whole lot wrong. Like, and so it kind of makes sense that, you know, you just kept surfing through it all. You know, you're fucking sticking by your family. Yeah, like, you got tangled up in the odd fucking scrap or blue here and there. It's pretty typical shit for fucking the eastern suburbs or Sydney or, or wherever. But it was like you become this like media fucking magnet. Mm. But you didn't, you know, you didn't, you weren't doing much wrong. Like you, you were living a pretty fucking, a pretty par for the course life in a lot of ways, I think. And dealing with a lot of bullshit in the background. Craig, you know the heaviest thing is like, there was no one healthier in Australia than me during this period that they're teasing me. All I did was stand up for my brothers. I'd still do it now. Mm. You know what I mean? All I did was buy a house and my brother lived there. You know, all I did was, it was like, I was really healthy. Mm. It was when everything went bad that I, I was, you know, went on a party bender. And then after the Bra Boys is when I was just started getting, a, just, a, you know, those chicks was everywhere and I was just enjoying it, mm. you know? So... So they painted a picture of what they chose to see and, and it just was so far from the truth. Yeah, like I look at you now and, and just getting to know you over the course of, of these yarns and, and seeing the way you live and I'm like, fuck, mate, actually this guy's like a beacon of health and mm. good living and, you, mate, you've raised a, a generation of just savages, like mm. pro footballers and pro surfers who probably wouldn't have become that if, you, if, you, if they hadn't grown up in your uh, slipstream. And, mate, I can only imagine how inspiring it would have been for them to see a guy from your background mm. committing as hard as he did to good health and training. Like, it must have been massive for all those grumps. Yeah, I mean, we spoke a lot of truth where we were from, you know? Like, we, we let each other know that, that we weren't gonna do great, you know? Like, and then to see what I done you know, because I followed like Tony Seddons and uh, 
there was a lot of like Sonny Abbott and like Sonny, Sonny was my biggest influence in my life, you know, he took care of me my whole life and he was on the pro tour and he was always healthy and eating, eating well and then Howie and then all these local surfers, you know, that were leading really positive lives and what that means is to wake up first thing in the light and you're the cook if you're not there for the early or you're the guy if you don't play for your local footy team, you're a loser. You're an idiot. You know, you don't. What do you do? Like, if you don't play for the footy team, or you don't fight, you know, you, you're not a boxer. What do you do? I don't understand. You know. So I grew up in this um, atmosphere of really outgoing sportsmen, mm. and like, you know, and we under the belief of like, if you didn't weren't a good sportsman, you weren't going to be much at all. So, or a carpet layer, or you know, like shout out to all the carpet layers, but you know, like. <laughs> They're all my boys. Oh, the whole of Maruba's couple eight. But anyway, um, um, yes, Jimmy else. But anyway, um, you know, so we had this way of growing in our house. And then I was second generation of that, of just animals. Like I owe everything to my brothers, you know. I was grown up in a very uh, matter of fact way of this is how it works. This is how you do it, or you get slapped in the head. Mm, mm, mm. You know, um, if you can't make it this way, you can't make it. Now, saying that, I raised all these football players and all these surfers and all my best friends under the same mentality, you know. And martial artist boxers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then once I become head of the bra boys, the boys kind of looked at like, you know, that's how they took it too because I was the guy out there chasing it. So then when we'll go training and when we'll surfing and that, the boys would listen. And I was the fittest man on the beach and I was the strongest and and uh, Richie Basswell. One day we had a battle to so see you could do the most push-up, uh, chin-ups, right? And uh, we put 20 kilos on our chest. We'd done some chin-ups. I did 45. Richie goes, you go first. I'm, I don't know how I didn't realise. He's about 18 years old. I did 45 chin-ups. He goes second and does 46 and laughs in my face. <laughs> I'm still off it, mate. But anyway, that's the sort of environment we grew up in, you yeah. know what I mean? And and um, I was just in line with some, uh, you know, some great people with some great morals as well as some gnarly people. You know, you had your Waynos, Wayne Cleveland, you had your Paul Moffat's, Howie, Settos, Marco Signetti. You know, you had Wayno and then you had Chewy's. And the Chaplains, we had all this, Eddie Greco, we had Stephen Goldie, we had all these amazing surfers from the beach who just loved surfing. So that just bred like, I was, I got brought up in a real surf community where the only thing that mattered was surfing. Mm, and mm. Uh, that made me uh, want to be the best at it and, and train as hard as I could. And no matter what you're doing, I was making you train like me. Yeah, I, I love hearing this because it, it's such a different picture that was portrayed by the media at yeah. the time you know the media portrayed like you know the party boy bad boy criminal drug mm. thug but really what a fucking what a turn up it was because behind the scenes it was like your, your quintessential working class fucking sport mad culture which is probably the country's greatest export man like you fucking like i could name you a thousand australians yeah who come from that exact same culture, yeah. who are also at the like, same time being held up as heroes by the media. It, it, it's so, media is such, such a fucking hologram of reality, like, or a simulation of reality. Yeah, it's... It, but, but in saying that, I was no angel. You know, I was in no angel, but I... No one who comes from those kinds yeah, of communities. Yeah, but the environment <sighs> that, that I grew up in was like a next level violent in, in and it, my own household, you know, like, and like people around my house, household and... I grew up in Lexington, you know, in Lexo, in the middle of the housing commissions, which mm -hmm. is, you know, so it's like, what are you... But in saying that, I didn't take drugs till I was, I think I was 32 years old, so it's like, you know, mm. you're painting this picture about me and it was far from the truth. Mm. Oh, it's fascinating. Um, and, mate, I guess, like... You know, now, what, what what gets you going in the surf now? I guess it's fucking, mate, I, I, you and your boy, Koo, are up at five and you're on it every morning. It, it's amazing. Yeah, well, I can't surf at the moment. I'm going for a back injury after that SAS show, you know? I hurt myself on that show and right now I'm just like, it's been since the show, I, I haven't surfed. 
and it's just aching me. So I get up in the morning and go down to the beach with my son because I'm a, I'm a real surfer. I wake up at 5am every single morning my whole life since I was about 12 years old. And I'm just sitting around like a crazy person in the morning. So uh, I'll wake up and stretch and do a breathing session and, uh, and you know, then wake my kid up uh, at, on first light and take him down to the beach. And he loves it. Like during COVID, he fell in love with surfing, you know. And uh, there was nothing else to do. There was no kids here. There was no anyone. So we just took, every, took him surfing every day and pushed him into waves and, uh, you know, and he fell in love with it, so that's where I'm at now. Seeing your boys surf, man, that's, uh, I mean, you've packed some of the most psycho pits of all time, but what's it like just pushing Koo into one? Is yeah. every bit as good? I think it's better. I think it's almost better, yeah? Like, it's nothing better than getting spat out a 10-footer or something, but, like, I'd, it's better than... It's better than me surfing on a four- to six-foot day, you know? It's better than me being out there on a four-foot day. So now we, you know, my bad back. There's no chance I can surf, and I just love it. It's my, it's my joy now, you know. And not only that, they come back and tell you about their waves. Like I watched him fall in love with it, and it's a pretty. I just wanted a surfer, bro. You know, that's all I wanted growing up. Like I wanted a beautiful woman, my wife, who's cool as, and I got a good surfer, and you know, that's that was my simple dream, and uh, that's where I'm in. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty good place to be, you know, and to to really watch my son go through this and see that it's like we're having our own connection in the ocean and stuff. We're seeing that some things that no one else sees, we understand things more. And he was he's just gonna live a good life after this because I made him this surfer in this time. Unreal, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Yeah, Fucking thanks for, uh, thanks for the Wim Hof getting us up here. Marcel Hof, sorry. And shout out to Ola too for fucking, man, she's the, Head of the apple tree, she put you onto it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Captain Ola, fucking legendary. Try it guys, it's called the dopamine activation, yeah? Um, that's the story I told about the, uh, when I got caught inside deserts. I had two different scenarios where I got, uh, I was down at the grower and got caught inside by like a 15 wave set without the Wim Hof and with the Wim Hof. I swear I could breathe with Wim Hof. I'd like it, it, I handled the situation way better. I think it stores oxygen and it works for you in many ways. Unreal. Thanks so much, man. Legend. Yeah,